0: Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Thanks for your patience. This is Gigi Johnson from Innovating Music. We've had some gaps as we're in the middle of summer term, and I tend to hang out on a UCLA schedule. But also, please enjoy the fact that the podcast is now at Radio.com and on Pandora, so you can add that to your listening pleasure. Uh, Please share the podcast with those that you might find would find it of interest. Shalita is both an independent pop artist and a tech innovator. She works on anything from public speaking to strategy to creating music in a really different way. As she says in the podcast, she uses data to paint as a canvas or paint on a canvas. That she has put together music both by doing extensive research and survey work with her growing fan base on most social media to creating emotional context of really rich music and trying to see what can, what she can do and how she markets her music to really resonate with parts of her core audience. She does possibly more market research on actual music creation than anybody have, I've run into, but she also really takes a look at tools as a language and tools in language for creating music. So please enjoy this very intriguing interview with Shelita, I think we met a few years ago at San Francisco Music Tech. Where we, I remember where: That I met. is correct.: Yes, we did meet at San Francisco Music Tech. And it's a place where there's not that many artists who go. And, and you are both an artist and um, I was going to say, influencer, but that's the wrong thing, that you're really a tech guru with all this stuff. How did you get into being someone who is so deeply into both music creation and tech?
1: Well, um, I started with music. And then around the age of eight, I learned how to program because I saw the internet as a way to get out to the global marketplace for my music. Okay. And so I learned how to program. And I'm always looking at ways to deconstruct things. So programming was, you know just the entry level. And I realized if I really wanted to take it to the next level, I have to understand how to build a computer. So I learned how to build a computer. And then from there, I learned how to build servers, like server networks. And from there, I understood that, wow, like this is beyond just coding and learning how to develop a computer. This is about like, when we look at our future, we look at artificial intelligence because at the end of the day, if we can predict certain pinpoints of where we would like to be as humanity, we can automate those actions with AI technology. And the same applies with music. Some people are against using music and AI together because they think that, oh, the com- computer is going to replace me. Well, there's synthesizers. Synthesizers can make sounds that we can't even predict in some ways with osculation. And we don't think that the synthesizer is going to replace us. So when I think of music and technology, I see technology as one of the vehicles to enhance the music that you're creating as a creator.
0: So I'm thinking, I mean, I'm, I'm the parent of three um, creative kids and tech kids in their early 20s and I can't think of any of the three of them getting inspired to program at age eight what were your parents thinking when they had this eight-year-old who wanted to program
1: i don't know um because i didn't grow up with both of my parents okay um i do know that um the contributions that i contributed in technology in my community i i saw that they were very happy to know that you know our neighborhood got things like fast internet and just things that happen out of understanding how Computer systems work, so I would see in the community that they were very um, thankful um, for the contributions.
0: Where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle in the town called Columbia City, so you were working as a young young, young person in doing this stuff with your community
1: Yes, I'm very community like oriented. <laughs> Wow, we we're social beings and social animals, and we weren't meant to be on this earth alone. We were meant to be in communities.
0: So when did you
1: release your first music and with who? Well, uh, my first music that I released out to the open world was actually a EP, which is like what I like to call a mini album, and I actually produced it and released it myself. I wrote all the songs, I recorded all the songs. And I I wrote all this, you know, I wrote it in a way that could connect to what I felt like each stage of what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And at the time, oh my gosh, I had no clue the kind of impact that that AP would have on the world. I just knew that I had my goals and I was a go-getter and I didn't have any social media accounts at the time. And I decided that when I looked at the social media landscape that I was going to architect the way to enter each and every one of those playing fields with the position of strength. So instead of just joining a platform like most people do, I had a strategic plan walking into Twitter, walking into Instagram, walking into Facebook. And it was because of that strategic plan, I was able to grow from like zero people caring to over a hundred thousand followers in just a couple of months without any advertising
0: dollars. And you're at nearly double that with most of those platforms now. Yes. Yes.
1: However, through that process, I also learned that social media is important. However, it's as an artist and a creative, it's really in the best interest of the artist to understand that they should own the customer relationship, which means instead of taking them to social media first, think about ways that you can take them offline or take them to an email list or take them to a place where you can capture their information in a way where you can actually create a relationship with them so that you can create meaningful experiences with them. Because I believe we're moving towards an experience economy.
0: Mm-hmm. So can you give us maybe an example case study pathway? How did you do that? What was your sort of big initial learnings in that space?
1: Well, each platform, I would use a different technique. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: However, um, because platforms change so rapidly, (laughs) I decided, yeah, I decided instead of waiting for people to see the posts or waiting for someone to get the announcement, that I was going to capture their information with their permission. And it doesn't matter if there's going to be email tomorrow or new technology tomorrow, because I have their information, I could automatically migrate them to whichever platform that I particularly as a creative will be using to put out music to the world or put out the messaging that I decide to create in the world, which is different than, okay, I'm on Facebook and I'm just posting something and I just hope everybody sees it. And I'm just going to rely on the algorithm of the Facebook feed to farm that content to my users. At the end of the day, that doesn't serve the creator. What serves the creator is you create an audience first, then you create content that you want to put out to the world for that audience, and then... You create ways where you can have check-ins with the audience to let them know when your regular content is going to be there so you're not, you're not um, dependent on the platform to show the content to people. And if you want to share it on Facebook after you do that, then Facebook is an after effect. Twitter would be an after effect to get to new people that you don't know in your internal circle.
0: So you have a fairly recent album release. We're right now in middle of 2019. What type of adventures did you do in setting that up and being ready to work with your audience with that album?
1: Oh my gosh. I wow, that album is one piece of humanity that I decided that I was going to basically pull back the curtains because my other releases were very um, data oriented and the way I architected the songs is I would look at lots of different data pools of what people were searching for online. Mm -hmm. And I would see what kind of emotions that those searches were triggered by. And then I would take that information and study the behavior of the top 25 people that exhibit those types of emotional patterns. And then I'd write songs based on that so that it can connect at a deeper level. And it worked. You know, I had more than 30 million streams in the last EP. However, this album that I just put out, I didn't do that. Yes, because I studied data like crazy. I did use data when it came to the marketing of the album, but when it came to the creation of the album, I decided to just pull back the curtains and go inside myself and just try to produce things in a way where I was going to unapologetically talk about the emotional part of whatever I was going through and use songs as a canvas and vehicle to illustrate those ideas in a way that I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. I didn't know if the songs were going to be usable. I didn't know if the songs were going to be something that anyone wanted to hear, and then after I I, I created a lot of songs like that in that lane, there was a picking process of which songs would actually make the cut on the album. So some of the songs did not make the cut on the album. Um, and so we had a strategic strategy in terms of which ones we were gonna put on and which ones weren't. And one of the ways I did it is I looked at the total play time that the average human being listens to albums at. And when I discovered that the people that were highly engaged users that loved to listen to music and, and listen to the album format, I saw that there was a sweet spot number of minutes before they would get distracted or you know, stop listening or coming back to the album, or they would be listening to the album on Spotify while they're browsing the internet and their attention wasn't completely there. And so what I wanted to figure out is how much attention can i gather in one album in a way that suits the listener in a way that can be a part of their life in a way that's not distracting to them so they can put their total body attention and mind into the listening experience of the album and i found that that number rested between 28 to 35 minutes and so (laughs) i looked at my catalog So how did
0: that data, Mm -hmm.
1: where did that data come from? It came from different various sources. Um, By permission, Mm -hmm. I reached out to some people on my list and I gave them a poll about what type of albums they're listening to right now. And just remember, everyone listens to music differently. Some people, they like to hear the same song over and over again on a loop. Some people like to hear the same albums on a loop, and some people don't listen to music like that at all. Music served to them, and they just listen to whatever is given to them. Mm-hmm. And so, I wanted to go after the users that actually really love listening to the album format, and I I studied their listening um, behavior. And so, basically, with their permission, I gave them a poll, and they filled out the poll. And then, with their permission, I I basically took around, well, it was a long time, around an hour to two hours of just seeing the time blocks that they most frequently listen to music.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then I studied their behavior patterns on, okay, so they're in the album phase right now, and it's about, they're about to go to sleep. And so far, they've only listened to about 15 minutes of any album. Okay. And then some users, it was 30 minutes. Some users, it was 29 minutes. Some users, it was 28 minutes. And I, when I found the user that was 28 minutes, because my album is 29 minutes, I, I wanted to find other behavior types that were associated with the listeners that were listening for the eight, you know, 28 to 29 minute format and find more people like that. And so then I took that topology and I dived into more behavior attributes and I saw that there was a commonality between their behavior and different
0: uh, personality types. And so I segmented that into a list. How do you know what their personality types are? You said similarly for your prior album that you looked at 25 different personality. I,
1: I had them take a personality test. And if you're putting anything out to the world, the personality type that shares something is like an extrovert and the personality type that's open to new things and open to new things I've never heard before would be the openness personality type. And so for me, I was going after the person that was openness and the person that was an extrovert. I wanted both of them. I wanted, if you've never heard of me before, that you'll be open to hearing the album. Boom. You have that your personality. Great. Oh my gosh. I love you. And then you've never heard of me before, but because you're an extrovert, you're going to share it with your friends. If you like it. And so that's the E in the ocean model, which is extrovert. <laughs> Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Oh, I, yes. And I'm not sure that I'm knowing of any other artist I've ever talked to who actually has fans do a personality test. Um, so so your fans in signing up to hang out with your content or knowing that data is part of your gestalt?
1: I only take data on the users that allow me to with their permission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so which means I don't take data on users that do not allow me to do that, of course, because it's not. Your data is your personal property in my view.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and. I know some people say data is oil, data is this, data is that. For me, data is more than that. Data is like the veins of AI engines. Without data, there would be no AI engines, artificial intelligence engines. And so for me, I take it very serious that here are the data points that I would like to collect. Is that okay with you? This is what I'm going to do with this. Is that okay with you? Like for me, that's a big
0: responsibility. So I'm gonna step sideways. I'm fascinated by the whole data in the creative process and the human elements in the creative process sections that come through data, I think that's fascinating. Your business models though are as a recording artist with a a community base, as a strategist so you're bringing these ideas and ways of thinking to other music companies and other artists? Yes, however artists or I
1: believe that every human being is a genius, and some of those human beings haven't discovered their inner genius because of certain blocks they have in life, and artists particularly are like super geniuses, and some artists do not have the language to to really dive into their creative process in a way that other people outside of them can understand because they're in their own little worlds because artists create their own little universes. And what I do with data is like painting on a canvas, you know, when I'm in the creative process, there's unlimited things I can do with data, but it's not just a scientific thing. It's an artistic thing as well. And more artists would be doing it if they had the tools and language to transfer the skills they already have in, in the creative world into what I like to call the tech world and so there's a bridge between those two worlds that for me they see it as a bridge but I see it as this this over um spear that exists on two planes together that's not in, it's not separate you know, it's just the brain processes it differently because of the way people categorize themselves and the way that people categorize what they can do in the world. And, and I think that if artists had the right language behind these different technological aspects of what they're doing, that that would give them more avenues to more creativity in exploring those planes.
0: So are there artists that you work with in this realm?
1: Right now, I am just solely working on the marketing of this album. Okay. Um, and so I have halted all other projects. <laughs> okay, okay. Because putting an album out to the world is like, is like introducing a new baby to the world. And it requires a lot of time and
0: attention and sensitivities. <laughs> so in the past, I know that you and I have had conversations on blockchain are you still working and looking at blockchain as part of your relationship with your uh, fans and community? And are you doing anything with blockchain with this album?
1: Oh my gosh, um, that's a loaded question. And the best way I can answer it would be, for me, I, when I look at today's landscape, I feel like today's world is moving towards what I like to call a blockchain revolution, mm-hmm. which for some people is a little scary. Um, It's here, it's here to stay. Um, We live in a world where transparency is going to be valued in ways that we've never seen before because there's gonna be new problems that blockchain can solve in ways we've never seen before. And some people don't really see the value in that transparency because they grew up with privacy. For me, as a person who grew up with privacy, I love the idea of transparency, which is what blockchain technology promotes. And the reason why I love transparency is because I believe that the more transparent we as a people and society can be in our behavior and our decision-making processes, the more other people can see what's possible. And the more we can alter our behavior for the better good in a way that could really create dramatic shifts in society so in terms of my album in terms of my music i think that blockchain technology is great in terms of paying my right owners fast that contribute to the music that i'm creating and i think it's great in terms of the global marketplace for transactions in so
0: terms of pause us here because we've talked about blockchain in prior episodes, and one thing that's come back over and over again from comments is, "What the heck is that?" So, for those who haven't listened to a prior episode or other things that have explained blockchain, can you give a synopsis yes. as to what, uh, uh, other than transparency, but what what is blockchain, and then what might be an example of something you've done with it already?
1: Okay, so think of blockchain like a global excel spreadsheet that's shareable in a way where no entry can be deleted and one entry builds on top of the other entry and another way to think about it is like a global digital ledger where there's it's hard to make changes because none of the entries inside of that ledger can be deleted and so a way to conceptualize this is let's say you're eating at a restaurant and you are being treated a certain way by the waiter, meaning you got free dessert. And you can see that because on your ledger of your receipt, you see free dessert. And because of the blockchain, if the restaurant was using blockchain technology, you can see that the other tables did not get free dessert. (laughs) And so then that human being can think to themselves, what did I do to get the free dessert? Now I'm examining my behavior and wanting to know what I did. Maybe the next time I go to that restaurant, I don't get free dessert, but I get a free drink. Wow. What did I do to get a free drink? And if I didn't get a free drink the next time, what can I do with my behavior to alter it in a way that can help the entire system? Because I can see the transparency of how everybody's being treated. And a lot of people, when they think about their experience, they think about this experience is my experience, but They think that other people are being treated like that as well. But when they see with transparency that that is not the case, then you're really seeing the unknowns that were not there before because you have exposure to other people's experiences. And that's why I like blockchain, because you can see other people's experiences. So the way I've used this in my music is I allow my fans to pay me in cryptocurrencies. And because I do that, they can see in real time what my sales are. They can see that it's going directly to me. This payment is going directly to me. And if I pay anyone else after the payment's made to me, my fans can see, oh, these are the other people that contribute to the project. And they can see to the end time of that currency movement, where that currency goes and how it's spent.
0: And I think that's revolutionary and amazing. A lot of people talk about the Global Excel spreadsheet concept, but not as much about the, and and maybe the transparency of my relationship with you, or as you're saying, the restaurant with, I'm so thinking of ice cream now, the the food options, you know. Ooh, I love ice cream. I'm always going to food metaphor, so um, you brought that in. Uh, But the transparency of seeing what other people got in music is oftentimes blurry at best. Um, and we
1: don't see the whole picture until you see the whole picture. And when you see the whole picture, what you're looking at is what is possible inside that system. So now you can think about the impossible and make the impossible happen because you see what's possible currently. So it helps you
0: think outside the box as well. So with your fans and cryptocurrencies, have you been able to create unique types of merch and relationships you would not have otherwise?
1: Um, when it- when it comes to merchandise, I am not, um, well, let me rephrase that statement. I am not very sales oriented. Mm -hmm. I'm more experience oriented. Okay. And so right now I'm developing some digital collectibles on the Ethereum blockchain in which the fans will, there's going to be like a set value for that digital collectible that will change based on the value that the person, um, and contributes to are the value that they set, and that value will transfer in value per person that they exchange that particular digital asset with. So instead of going from dollar to dollar, it'll be from digital asset to digital asset. So, more like the barter system in a, in a virtual world where you can trade virtual assets.
0: So, what and is a digital collectible? And I think of, of earlier digital collectibles that might have been folks in Japan having their own avatar that they would have a digitally collectible dress of which there were only X number of units and as a business model that used to baffle me. So what type of thing are are you thinking of or creating as digital collectibles?
1: Well a digital collectible is basically anything that you can create value with that is a digital asset online because it's digital and so another way to think about this a digital collectible can be an emoji it can be an album artwork it could be an image it could be a i mean it's unlimited on what a digital collectible can be um it could be a screensaver i mean anything that can be digitally experienced can be a digital collectible and you can also tie a digital collectible with and, and physical collectible and that the digital collectible is just a certificate for the physical item. Mm-hmm. And so in my view, I think digital collectibles are the future of commerce online.
0: Or in some cases have been in existence in other marketplaces for quite a while. And Yes. And, and not all of them are tied to the blockchain. You know, <laughs> So um, your work being uh, in many ways with, with a, a large, not domestic audience is globally fluid. Have you found different relationships and communities with your work internationally? I have found different um, relationships with um, global
1: partners. And I, I think of myself and the world as a global um, universe and i'm always thinking global whenever i do anything online because that just opens up new avenues that you don't see before
0: anything that's unique when working globally or that's really different in behaviors and attitudes and opportunities by country
1: um to be honest i i do not see a difference between when I'm going international versus here in terms of human behavior. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because when I look at human beings and myself and I relate to the world, I relate to the world in a behavior way because I believe it's not the be, It's not the person who buys a product. It's not the person who listens to music. It's your behavior that listens to music. It's your behavior that buys a product. It's your behavior that does things. When I think of reality, there's like this conceptual being that's here in my body, in my human body. But the thing doing the doing is behavior. Mm-hmm. And so when I, my entire outlook on the world is by the lens of behavior, there are other attributes that people can look at, like cultural differences, which is an identity aspect that's perceived among a group of people and with rituals and certain practices and what have you, but then the behavior aspect is what is, and I like to relate to what is, and the identity piece of things is a separate thing to me, and I just relate in the world in terms of the what is and in, in the aspects of
0: behavior. So what is the concert aspect or live performance aspect of your work? Is there a face-to-face element of it that builds from this, or is this largely a digital connectivity model?
1: Well, I am, I love to perform. Um, I love to connect with audiences. I'm still building the live experience, and the live experience is versatile at the moment. And one of the things that I've done at my concerts is I like to create a song, on the spot with my audience where the audience will give me different lines and different melodies sometimes. And basically I create a way through the blockchain that all those people can get paid if I ever put out the song. Um, And then I will produce the song right there in front of the audience on stage after I get all the words from the members of the audience that like to contribute. And then I perform the song in front of them right at the concert. And I love doing that because a lot of the people that contribute the words or contribute a piece of the song have never written the song before and never thought of themselves as a songwriter. And I believe everyone has a voice and everyone has something to say. And sometimes I just haven't found a medium of expression. And for me, songs is my medium of expression. And so to give that joy to someone else is just a beautiful thing to do. And I just, I love doing it.
0: How do you connect? You you have all sorts of interesting personality and behavioral data on your community and fans. How do you connect that to those who are at your concerts?
1: How do I connect that? Well, when I'm in my concert environment, I'm only thinking about The human experience. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about technology or data or the other aspects of me. I'm just thinking about the human experience and connecting authentically to to the audience and the data before the concert is just something that allows me to be on the stage. (laughs) And so when I actually get to the stage, I'm just in my creative zone and I am just artist. I am just creating. And experiencing and
0: connecting with human beings. Fabulous. And then, are you collect? I mean, I'm, I'm. I tend to have the the different data nerd hat, which is the who chose to come to the concert and is coming to a concert impact. Then their their relationship with me as artist going forward, or as an outgoing uh adventurous person, you know, who of my portfolio of fabulous fans decided to come to have a human experience and does that change the relationship with them? Um are well, you Well for
1: me I when when a fan comes to a concert, it means everything to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean whether I'm playing in front of twenty people or three thousand people or fifteen thousand people, at the end of the day, everyone counts. Because time, which is an illusion, but it's something in our lifespan that we can never really get back. And so when I'm performing on stage and I look out into the audience, I look out in the audience, I think to myself, you really could have been anywhere else in the world, any doing anything else other than giving me your attention. Because reality is what you put your attention on. Perception is what you put your attention on and you put a lens on that attention. And so if I'm performing and you're putting your attention on me, then I become your reality for those moments. And that I do not take lightly. And it's beautiful and amazing that those people chose to do that with me. And so for me, it's like I am here to deliver these heart song medicine to you and I'm touching your heart and you're allowing me to do this because it feeds you in a way that connects to your authentic self.
0: And I just, I, I just love that. And I love the fact that you are so data focused, but with human and emotion as, as, as part of that whole, what data gives you and brings you and provides. I, I really love the whole concept of sort of data as fuel for the art. And, and I appreciate the, the live part of that. So we are getting near the end of our time together. Is there anything we have not yet talked about that you want to make sure that our listening audience would know about the work you're doing or ways they could be thinking about what you bring to the table?
1: Yes. If you'd like a different experience from start to finish, I would recommend listening to my album. It's self-titled Shalita. It's nine songs that are going to rock your nervous system and rock your entire body universe. And it's a gift to humanity, and I would love to hear what you think of it. <laughs> and how would they let you know how they what they thought of it? Oh, they can reach out to me on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, or Facebook you can just go to at Shalita Burke, although my artist name is just Shalita, and Shalita Burke is spelled
0: S-H-E-L-I-T-A-B-U-R-K-E. Well, Shalita, it was wonderful speaking with you and sharing the insights of your really different mix of uh, technology and data and humanity and music And I want to thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Great.
0: Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Maramell Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.